Do we have uh, Brother Lewis up on Skype? The moment we've all been waiting for to see if technology will uh, will be there or not. Um, while while they're uh, getting uh, John Lewis up on the screen, I'll just say that uh, you can read about the details of his very star-studded career in the bio. He is. Um, has had a very distinguished career at uh, many institutions, including uh, the University of Arizona, where he led the uh, Space Engineering Research Center, a very prominent uh, uh, institution in this, in this uh, field. He's taught at MIT, at uh, the California Institute of Technology, and at Tsinghua University in China. Uh, he is now president of the Deep Space Industries, which is uh, uh, very involved in the prospect of asteroid mining. And in fact, he recently at my institution, IHMC, he's been down there at meetings looking at the future explorations uh, that might support those kinds of activities. I got to know John, uh, interestingly enough, uh, at my uh, uh, place of work where we had a visit from the Vatican astronomer named uh, a Guy Consul Magno. Uh, he gave some very interesting talks on science and religion, and um, and I read uh, some of his books uh, before he came, and he happened to mention something in there. He said uh, that was very interesting. He'd interviewed a lot of young people who were scientists and techies, as he called them, who and, and asked them about their feelings and re about religion, and most of them were very open-minded to religion and said something very interesting, though, that there were two religions that they would not uh, consider investigating further. They're, they just couldn't take seriously. They were Scientology and Mormonism. Brother uh, Consul, I'll call him Brother because he's Brother Guy is what he goes by, uh, um, uh, then commented, he said, That's, I found that result very interesting because I don't know of any scientist who has the least respect for Scientology. Uh, on the other hand, I have a lot of very good friends who are techies who are Mormons. And then he said, including my former MIT professor um, uh, in that regard. He didn't name him at the time, so when I had a chance to talk to Brother Guy, I uh, asked him who that was, and uh, it was John Lewis, who had made a very profound impression upon Brother Guy at that time. We hope we can uh, get Brother Guy here at a future meeting. Is he on now? Okay. Uh, let's now switch to John Lewis, who's going to give us the... Scale of the universe in space and time, if I'm not mistaken. And John, welcome. First, in the ancient world, the general concept was that Earth was the center of creation. The heavens were the night sky as seen by the naked eye from Earth's surface. And uh, it was tacitly assumed that that night sky was a local and Earth-fixed phenomenon. The cosmos that they imagined, in the, uh, the Greeks and the, the Hebrews, was probably some thousands of kilometers in extent. It was a very intimate little universe. It was a spherical volume centered on Earth, containing the Sun, the Moon, and the known planets, which were Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, seven in number. These seven bodies were generally pictured as being much smaller than Earth, and very close by. They were all assumed to travel around Earth, which was fixed and immobile at the center of the cosmos. This set of seven wandering heavenly bodies were collectively called planets, from the Greek word for wanderers. This was regarded as a final and complete inventory, since seven was a mystical number. And, and uh, those of you who are familiar with the book of Revelation 
will realize that the number three and a half was used to recognize broken perfection or, or disorder or chaos. Um, thus the recurrence of the concept of three and a half years and so on in, uh, in uh, Revelation. In Latin, planets were referred to as stella erons, which means a wandering star or an unruly star, without any concept that Earth and the other planets of the solar system were bodies of a similar nature. The Earth, with a lowercase e, was literally the ground on which we stood, the sole fixed point in all of creation. And Earth, capitalized, is a modern conception that identifies Earth as one of the planets of the solar system, as a member of a family of related bodies and a fellow wanderer in the sun's family, not as the center of all creation. These seven planets wandered in complex and largely unpredictable, unruly, rule-less patterns across the sky. There was no room for planetary satellites, or also called moons, or asteroids. Comets, meteors, and meteorites, in this, in this view, were not real material objects, but they were signs sent by God. Further, the seven heavenly bodies must be perfect because they were heavenly, and um, they were therefore featureless celestial spheres. They were not composed of gross matter like the Earth. It was implicit that the creation of this tiny Earth-centered cosmos was a single creative episode or event. Our present understanding of the vastness of the universe is entirely a product of 20th century astronomical research, completely alien to the ancient mind. In fact, the universe as it is now understood is vastly larger than any astronomer of the year 1900 would have imagined. All ancient creation concepts were Earth-centered and local. They were stories of the creation of Earth. Everything else was either incidental or non-physical. Earth was not so much the center of creation as it was the only material body in creation. These conceptions persisted for millennia, there's a wonderful but sadly undocumented tradition that Thomas Jefferson, who was no mean natural philosopher himself, read of the 1807 fall of the Weston meteorite in Connecticut in Benjamin Silliman's American Journal of Science and responded, quote, I would find it easier to believe that two Yankee professors would lie than that stone should fall from the sky, end quote. As late as the mid-1800s, meteorites were commonly attributed to volcanic activity. Meteorites falling in France, described in the literature of the time as being ejected from volcanoes in Sicily. The cosmos pictured in this way did not even include the stars. Until the 17th century, it was nearly universally accepted that the surface of the cosmic bubble, the black dome of heaven, was close to Earth and enclosed all creation. This firmament was a solid, firm dome surrounding our little cosmos. The stars were often described as pinholes in the firmament that admitted light from the celestial realms above into our tiny cosmos. The Latin word firmamentum 
conveys no sense at all of vast spaces and countless other suns and worlds. The word meant a support, a framework, or a prop. It was a structural element. The dome of the sky was just that, a dome. To the ancients, therefore, the heavens were not a vast and boundless realm of worlds without number, but it was a local envelope that surrounded the earth and implicitly also its seven accompanying wanderers. Calling this an account of the creation of the universe is a historical absurdity. Not all the Greeks shared this conception. It was certainly the majority opinion. Some imagined stars to be other suns, each with a cosmos of its own, with these various cosmoi, the plural of cosmos, packed together like a barrel full of bubbles. But Aristotle, who always had the last word on everything, argued that such bubbles had to be spherical, since, according to Plato, the sphere was a perfect shape, and everything in the heavens was by definition celestial, and therefore perfect, and therefore spherical. However, Aristotle pointed out, spheres cannot be packed together so as to fill space. Therefore, if there were other cosmoi, there would have to be a void in the interstices between the various bubbles. And uh, that was impossible under Aristotle's principle that nature abhors a void. Thus, it was impossible for the stars to be other suns with their own families of planets. Notice that all of the governing principles here, the perfection of spheres, mystical numbers, the uh, abhorrence of voids, were nothing more than the wisdom of men. They were not based upon observations of the universe and not even in principle testable or verifiable. The authority of Plato or Aristotle took precedence over observation. Aristotle's writings were adopted and taught by the church and shaped the interpretations of scripture for centuries to come, and thus our understanding of sacred Christian texts was made to conform to pagan philosophy. If we were to define the universe as meaning everything that exists, the Hebrews and Greeks would have pictured it as referring to earth and possibly also to the realm of the seven wanderers, but no more. Now, let us turn to the second topic, the age of the earth. I'm not going to get into great detail about methods of dating the age of the earth. I believe you'll hear that from other speakers. But I would point out that many literal, uh, literalist readers of the Bible take the word day in Genesis to be literally one modern earth day, even though, according to the account of creation in Genesis, days did not exist until the fourth day of creation. It is well known that such a constrained time scale is ruled out by every available method of dating astronomical and geological history. It's also worth pointing out that the word for day in Hebrew, yod, is used both figuratively and literally, as it is in English. So the question of interpretation arises. The antiquity of Earth was the subject of active debate in the early 19th century. Some of them ex uh, attempted to adhere to this literalist explanation of seven days or six days of creation and tried to explain away the overwhelming evidence from geology that Earth was created with this semblance of billions of years worth of sediments and so on by God to test our faith. 
which I regard as an exceedingly unfaithful understanding of God, that he would intentionally delude us by presenting us with false evidence of the antiquity of Earth. The more liberal or scientific interpretation of geological history generally suggested an age of 100,000 to perhaps tens of millions of years for Earth. Almost alone in this time period, in the early 1800s, Joseph Smith offered a vastly larger perspective on the age of our planet. According to some sources, in his April 1844 funeral discourse for his friend King Follett, the prophet spoke of Earth, or possibly the land of our continent, as being over two and a half billion years old. Now, there is no single official written text for this address, although we have reports from about six different eyewitnesses who took detailed notes. The most familiar version, that found in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, was edited and stripped of reference to the antiquity of Earth by Joseph Fielding Smith. However, Joseph Smith's statement, as reported by other observers, is not the only authoritative source to, to mention a figure of several billion years for the age of Earth. In the Times and Seasons, Volume 5, page 758 in 1844, Contemporary, a letter from Joseph Smith's Book of Abraham's scribe, W.W. W. Phelps, to the prophet's brother, William Smith, states, quote, that eternity, agreeable to the records found in the catacombs of Egypt, has been going on in this system, not the world, almost 2,555 millions of years. And to know that deists, geologists, and others are trying to prove that matter must have existed hundreds of thousands of years almost tempts the flesh to fly to God or muster faith like Enoch to be translated and see and know as we are seen and known. So, Brother Phelps was, of course, present with the uh, and, and scribed the Book of Abraham. And uh, he is quoting here the figure of 2,555 million years, or 2.555 billion years, from uh, Joseph Smith's work. Lacking any explanation of what uh, Brother Phelps meant by this system and the world, it's difficult to compare these numbers to the much more precise ages of specific events that have been determined by science. The 19th century usage of world encompassed everything from planet to all existence, whereas the, world, the, the word system in an astronomical context suggests the solar system. So there's still some problem of deciding exactly what that 2.555 billion years referred to. The relationship between human time and God's time is hinted at in several places in Scripture. The Bible offers a single explanation when Peter writes, 2 Peter 3.8, But, beloved, be not ignorant of one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. This certainly cautions us regarding the figurative nature of the measure of time and suggests that God's time is enormously flexible compared to our earthly time. Certainly both of those two statements from 2 Peter cannot simultaneously be literally true. Elder Bruce R. McConkie has also commented that the days of creation are figurative and not to be taken literally. In the June 1982 ensign, he wrote, quote, what is a day? 
It is a specified time period. It is an age, an eon, a division of eternity, end quote. And I certainly commend this statement to church members who falsely believe that Elder McConkie favored any one-week duration for the creation. He explicitly did not. Considering that Doctrine and Covenants, section 77, verse 6, refers to, quote, this earth during the 7,000 years of its continuance or its temporal existence, end quote, what led Joseph Smith, who wrote that verse, to speak of earth as being 2,555 million years old? The answer appears to be straightforward. 7,000 earth years is in conflict with all physical, chemical, genetic, archaeological, and linguistic evidence, but 7,000 years of God is not ruled out. So let us think of it that way. The arithmetic is easy. 7,000 years of God, calculated on the basis of one day of God being a 1,000 years of man, one year of God therefore being 365,257 years of man, is 7,000 times 365,257 earth years, and that comes out to 2.556799 billion earth years. Clearly, Joseph Smith did not intend the 7,000 years to refer to earth years. They were years of God. But why did Joseph Smith and W.W. Phelps quote 2.555 billion years instead of 2.5568, which our calculation arrived at. That's also simple to explain. Their calculations simply ignored leap years and took the average duration of the year as exactly 365 days. And that works out to exactly 2.555 billion years. The same number also services in Elder McConkie's address the seven deadly heresies delivered at BYU in 1980. He refers to God as, quote, an infinite and eternal being who has presided in our universe for almost 2,555,000,000 years. Now let's move on to the temporal extent of creation, or rather uh, viewing creation as an ongoing process. The creation of Earth is explicitly described in, in LDS scripture as a process of bringing order to chaotic matter, the matter already existing. It, explicitly, this is not a creation story of the creation of matter ex nihilo, out of nothing. This is in perfect accord with the scientific evidence regarding the creation of Earth, that a chaotic interstellar cloud collapsed to produ produce the solar system, including Earth. It also places the origin of matter in the far distant past, not a part of the event surrounding Earth's formation, a conclusion that is closely in accord with scientific studies of the origin of the elements. LDS scriptures, beginning with the Book of Moses, portray creation as being diachronic, meaning spread through time. Many worlds came into existence before Earth existed. Many no longer exist. Creation continues to the present. In LDS doctrine, there are governing laws irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of the world, on the basis of which laws not only principles of righteousness and salvation are based, but also laws which govern the coming into being, the aging and dying of worlds. 
pre-existing life on earlier worlds is a natural consequence of this view. President Snow's couplet saying that God once lived in mortality on a world similar to ours requires that generations of planets pre-existed Earth. The laws of nature on which the formation, evolution, and death of worlds are predicated must have been in existence long before the formation of our planet. Thus, the origins of the universe 13.7 billion years ago, according to the Wilkinson Anisotropy Probe, was a widely separated event from the origin of the Earth. In fact, the universe is three times as old as Earth. The origin of Earth and the rest of the solar system 4.55 billion years ago occurred in the context of a collapsing interstellar cloud, just as we see happening today in the Orion Nebula and in many other locations. The formation of the solar system was accompanied by a simultaneous formation of thousands to millions of other stars and planetary systems in a starburst. The role of stars in the Earth creation story is variously represented by the different scriptural stories. Genesis says that on the fourth day, quote, he made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, end quote. The book of Moses says, quote, the stars also were made even according to my word, and I, God, set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, end quote. The book of Abraham likewise has the sun, moon, and stars set in the expanse of heaven on the fourth day. We're also told in another place that, quote, he caused the stars also to appear, end quote. Is it just that the stars became visible from the vantage point of Earth's surface on the fourth day? Or were they created after Earth was already old enough to have life? Interestingly, the astronomical evidence favors most stars being far older than Earth, but the star boats burst associated with the origin of the solar system would also have formed thousands to millions of nearby stars in the same creative episode, some forming a little earlier than the sun and some a little later. Viewing the heavens as the sky as seen from the surface of the Earth by the naked eye, a seer witnessing this origin of the, of the Earth would have seen stars coming into being in the same time frame as the creation of the Earth. LDS scriptures conform very well to the reading of Genesis as the story of the creation of Earth. The extension of this scripture to the universe and its origin is inconsistent with science and is an anachronistic misreading of the story inserting the concept and the word universe where scriptures do not. Creation was going on for billions of years before the creation of the earth, and creation continues today. Earth is indeed billions of years old, as Joseph Smith was one of the very first to say. The visions recounted in scripture, viewed as attempts to convey the seer's experience without access to modern terminology, are remarkably informative and well-deserving of study, there is in no visible way any contradiction between the scientific story of the creation of Earth and the scriptural accounts. And that is the end of my talk. John, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, so someone says, can we get the formula again to reach the 2.55 billion years? Uh I will leave the arithmetic as an exercise to the student, but it's simply this. It is 7,000 years of God, which generates the number that Joseph Smith quoted. 
And uh, the, the 2.555 billion years is simply 7,000 years of God times the, uh, the uh, 365,000 uh, that, that, that's, that's the conversion from, uh, from days of, uh, years from years to days. 365,000, the number of Earth days in a thousand years, and it comes to 2.555 billion years. So it's 7,000 times 365,000. Or if you do it with an accurate version of the length of the year, taking into account leap years, it's 7,000 times 365,257. Everybody get that? <laughs> okay, John, we have another question. Uh, yes. This sounds like it's one for you and probably one for the biology uh, 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 experts this afternoon. What is your opinion on the pre-Adamites? The church declares that Adam was the first man. How do you think that happened exactly? Um, I, I'm a follower of, of Brigham H. Roberts in this respect. Um, I believe it, it is literally true that Adam was the first man and that he was the first true human being. I do believe that there were pre-Adamites who were man-like beings, superficially man-like beings that were not fully human. <laughs> Thank you. Um, they were, uh, they were uh, physically similar to man. We know that, the, that uh, creation creates the physical first, the first Adam being a physical creation, the second Adam being the Savior. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 128 is, is well worth rereading in this respect. The places in Scripture that talk about the first Adam and the second Adam are referring to Adam as the first, the physical creation and Christ as the, the uh, one who brought the new level of creation in uh, with the full understanding of the spiritual. Uh, but as for pre-Adamites, the fossil evidence it, it bears out this idea that there were man-like beings around for a long time before true human beings who are capable of moral decision, capable of, of choosing between right and wrong, uh, capable of having a spirit which, which could be uh, exalted or which could be condemned. Thank you, John. Uh, we actually have one other question. Again, I hope uh, Michael Stark is writing some of these things down as questions for the panel later this afternoon, too. This one says, how do you reconcile the church's belief that there was no death of any kind prior to 6,000 years ago? Um, that is not the church's belief. There is no such doctrine. <laughs> okay, uh, John, I think you've answered every question. Oh, go, go ahead. Let me just, let me elucidate that. There was no <laughs> spiritual death before Adam. There, could not, there was no one capable of spiritual death before Adam. The, uh, the assertion that there was no death of any sort uh, is simply in, in conflict with all observational evidence. And if we understand that uh, the, the, the sequence of creation, there were plants on earth being eaten by animals, and those animals were dying before Adam was formed. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not concerned about that. Any final words, John? 
No, have a wonderful conference, and uh, I'm now going to go back and get caught up on my sleep. The sun is just now coming up in New Zealand, and uh, I'm going to uh, behave in the opposite direction and close my eyes for a while. Thank you.